Hey, thanks so much, Ben, and thanks so much for being here this morning, by the way. I really enjoy uh, seeing you all. Thanks for making it here on Memorial Day weekend. I hope you do enjoy the rest of your celebration. And welcome to a brand new series. I'm excited to start a new series that we're calling Relationship Goals. Yay, okay, there we go, a little bit, there we go. Woo, okay, Um, this is going to be a four-part series in which we're talking about, essentially, relationships. Uh, I have a question for you. You can um, raise your hand if you'd like. Uh, How many of you have ever been through a breakup in junior high or high school or college age? Been through a breakup? Okay, good. How fun was that? Just kidding about that. So here's what I did. I was curious, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was curious what some of the worst breakup lines in the world ever were. Wouldn't that be interesting? Okay, so hey, you're in luck. Here we go, because I'm going to tell you. So I Googled that, all right, and here's what I found. That there, you know, here's some of them that I found, all right? Number one, uh, this person evidently said, I love you, and I won't be able to bear it if I lose you. So before that happens, let's break up. (laughs) Smart. All right, someone else said, I got just about seven or eight of these. Um, I like bacon. You don't like bacon. We're done. That, that, that's smart. I mean, really. Okay. You're spending too much time with your dying father. Okay. Now, here's what one person said. I'm moving to Antarctica. Yes, I know I'm not a scientist. I'll find work. Please don't call me. And the individual who submitted this responded. They said, I don't know what I did, but I always tell myself I dodged a crazy bullet. <laughs> one person said, your soul is not developed enough to be loved. Yep. One girl wrote this. She said, I had a guy named Tyler tell me once that he was breaking up with me because Tyler Plain flies solo. What is that? She said. And no, his last name was not Plain. Interesting. This person said, I, I love you so much and want to spend the rest of my life with you. We have to break up. If it's really meant to be, then we'll end up together again like they do in the movies. Good. This one is great. A girl drove my car into a pond, totaled it, and then broke up with me because that's your karma coming back to bite you, so you must have done something terrible. Finally, here's what this one girl said. I just can't, a guy told her, I just can't afford two gifts this year, but we can go back out after Christmas. She, She said, my birthday's in December. And then there's Christmas. So he tried to get me back by giving me a heart bracelet he stole from his mom for Valentine's Day. My sixth grade boyfriend, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Hey, we say and we do a lot of crazy things when it comes to relationships, don't we? Because relationships are difficult and complex, aren't they? They really are. I mean, that's the reason why some of you are not sure how to ask the girl out that you really want to ask out, because what do I do if or when she says no, or how to get out of a relationship that you're in, because how can I let them down carefully without blowing up the world and my world that I'm in? Some of us are willing to live with enemies rather than try to reconcile, because it's easier to just live that way than to try to figure out the nuances of the relationship, right? Like new relationships are complex, complex things. And so what I want to talk about for four weeks is really relationship goals. There are some goals that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to, to tell you, these are some things if you're a follower of Jesus Christ especially, that we need to kind of put on or start with in relationships. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, I think these are still good ideas, okay? Like if you're still trying to figure out your own faith journey, These you can listen to and you can choose whether you want to or don't want to respond. That's going to be up to you. But I still think there's wisdom here for all of us. But if you're a Christian especially, 
we have a greater obligation to respond to what God is saying. And I want to open that up to us here this morning. Now, I want to tell you why I'm doing this series. And I introduced it a little bit last week. That is this. Remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is? And I think I said this last week. He said two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he volunteered, remember this, he volunteered a second commandment. He said, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. But again, he wasn't asked what's the first and second commandment, just what was the first. And so he offered this. In other words, he put them together and said, you're going to love your neighbor and love God together. Like they're not separate. It's not as if loving God is most holy and loving neighbor is not as much. They're just together. So I want to do a series on how we love others because it was so important to Jesus and I think it needs to be important to to me and I I hope to you. Now, what I want for you is basically I want you to get better at relationships. I, I want to get better at it, okay? And I think we can get better. All of us can, no matter how awesome you are or whatever. I think we can keep getting better. This is what I hope for you. And finally, this is, this is kind of another why in terms of why we're doing this. Here, here's what I think. That first impressions of God are often formed by first impressions of people who claim to know him, right? So first impressions of God are often formed by first impressions of people who claim to know him. What I mean by that is if we, if we say that we serve a loving God, and yet I don't act in a loving way to people around me, especially people who I don't like, then no, you don't have a loving God, right? Like people, people who are trying to figure out faith and trying to figure out who God is, and if I'm a Christian and I say I serve a God of grace, <laughs> but I don't extend grace to you, or you hear me gossiping about my coworker or my, my friend in the classroom or whatever, like if you hear me doing that and extending zero grace, no. There's no such thing as a God of grace because the first impressions of God are often formed by your first impressions of a Christian and how they react. And so this is why it's so important how we relate to each other because people's impression of God is informed by the quality of relationship that I have with you, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. It's why people say this is why some people leave the church because of all the quote-unquote hypocrites. Now, I Yep, we are. I'm okay with that. Like, yes, I fall short of my own standards. But I want us to keep getting better at this, okay? This is kind of some of why we're doing this. So this is uh, where I'm coming from. Now, I want to tell you what the series is not. This is not a straight-up dating series or marriage series. Although, um, it will make you better at dating or marriage, okay? And by the way, I have nothing against a dating or marriage series. In fact, I would say I would, I would love, I would love... Now, for all of our, um, let me put it first to young men. I'd love for all of our young men to have as a, like a noble pursuit in their heart to pursue in a right and godly way women, young women, in terms of not like young women, okay, let me rephrase that. I'm in a little bit of a hole. Let me back up out of that hole, okay? Men, young men who are growing, right, growing up and growing into dating and like with a view toward marriage, like I would love for our young men to grow in that maturity and say a really good, noble, and right pursuit is to honorably pursue women with a view toward commitment and marriage, like without being a jerk and an idiot, but like just being a, a growing, like that is a good and godly pursuit that has been put in us. And young ladies, young women, again, to respond in a similar way and to be ready, not just to be ready, but to be a growing uh, young lady and young woman who understands her role in this process and, and serves God. So I have no, zero problem 
with the dating world, okay? So I'm not against that. I'm just saying this isn't a dating series. But I would, I would love for us to continue to nurture healthy and noble and good pursuits that move toward a lifelong commitment to one another in marriage that honors God. That sounds like a marriage series. But this isn't a marriage series, but I'm telling you, I want that for us, okay? Is that fair enough? Not a marriage series, but I would love that just to continue to grow in our souls as people, okay? So not a marriage series, and it's also not going to be a series that's going to change your personality. That's just the way it's going to be. Some of us are just always going to be friendly, and uh, more friendly than I am, no question about it. I, I'm not, I mentioned last week, I think, I'm not, like the, I'm not an extrovert. It's just not who I am. So there are always people. Always people who are going to have a personality that will be very warm and very engaging. And that's a gift that God has given to you. Man, use that thing. And some of us don't have that naturally. And so we have to think a little more intentionally about how we relate and try to be a little less task-oriented people. So we're not going to change personality, not trying to, just trying to put in front of us, how can I, how can I love God and love others especially? Okay? Good enough? Good enough. So with all that being said, we're going to go into a, a letter that someone named Paul wrote to uh, the early church. And so if you have a Bible with you, inside of that Bible is a letter that, that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And we're going to be in that for a couple of weeks. We're going to go between Colossians and another letter that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians. But this morning, we're going to drop it in and land in Colossians. Colossians is a small little book. You will run by it if you don't know where it is, and you're going to run right by it. And so we don't want that to happen for you. Feel free to look that up in the table of contents. The page numbers are different in some of our pew Bibles, or I'd give you that. But by the way, the pew Bible in your, um, your seat or in your row in front of you is our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Now, that's our our gift to you, okay? So Colossians chapter 3, small little book, Colossians chapter 3, um, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're also going to finish at verse 12. So we're going to keep it real simple and real straightforward this morning. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. And again, Paul writing a letter. This is not, he, he didn't sit down, by the way, to write a book. He just started to write a letter, just like you and I might write a letter to somebody. Well, actually, we wouldn't. We'd type an email, or we'd send an instant message, or we'd text them. Paul's just writing a letter. He's just writing to them. And so here's what he's writing in this kind of second half of the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians. He's finally speaking to these people who are new Christians trying to figure out how, what their faith looks like, and he's realizing, I need to explain to them what new relationships look like. Because if you come to faith in Christ, the relationships that you have after faith in Christ have a different quality than relationships before Jesus, okay? And so here's how he explains that in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Boom. Okay? We're going to pause it right there. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, the NIV is a very helpful translation because it's very readable. But there's another version of the Bible, another translation of the Bible that sometimes is helpful as well. And one of those versions is called the English Standard Version or the ESV. And the reason I want to throw that up on the screen for you now is because something is happening in the language that Paul wrote in. Okay, When Paul wrote, he didn't write in English, and he didn't use chapter and verse divisions. He wrote in Greek. In this letter, he wrote in Greek. And so in the Greek, when he was writing, he put a word at the beginning of the sentence that isn't at the beginning of the sentence in the NIV, but it was in his mind. 
Now, the translators of the NIV made a different choice with how they translated this verse, but in Paul's mind, he put something different at the beginning than what you see there. He didn't say, therefore, as God's chosen people, he did it differently. And the English standard captures it well, and here's what the ESV says. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's a slight nuance, but at the beginning of the sentence, Paul starts with the verb. He's starting with, like, put on, or the NIV says, clothe yourself. In other words, he's taking that and immediately beginning the sentence saying, do this first. Put this on. It's almost like before you go out the door and you start engaging in relationship, do this first, put this on. In my own little mind, I was thinking um, about how to how to understand this. In my own mind, I think, you know, good grief, this works uh, in the field of athletics. I, many of you know I coach uh, U12 boys um, soccer. That's a lot of fun, a lot of very engaging. I've done that for several years. And uh, maybe two, three practices ago, uh, I decided with our coach that we're going to play with the boys. We only had, uh, we were down in numbers, and it's a good opportunity for, uh, for us to kind of show them some pointers on the field and on the go. We kind of made that decision on the fly. So all the boys around me are wearing cleats and shin guards. And guess who's not wearing cleats and shin guards? That's right. Because I wasn't equipped. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't planning on it. I've got sneakers on. I'm like, you know, I want to jump in and play with them. So guess who's slipping on the grass, Right. And guess who doesn't feel strong in putting their footing down to make a long pass down to the, the, the wing who should be streaking down the sideline because I, I don't have the equipment. And guess who's more tentative in going in for a tackle because I don't want, even though they're 10, 11, 12 years old, I don't want them kicking my shin, right, because I'm not ready for that. And so Paul's saying, listen, when you go into relationships, it's kind of like that field of play, don't come out with sneakers on. Put this stuff on. It just makes sense. Like, put the cleats on. Put the shin guards on. Put on the right things you need to engage in relationships. And don't just assume that I can wake up out of bed and roll out and go engage in relationships. Like, no, you're not going to be confident in your footing. You're not going to be able to make the long pass. You're going to be more tentative. You're going to be unsure what's happening. You're going to slip if we're not intentional about it. And so he begins kind of by saying, like, there's stuff to put on. Like, there's equipment necessary for the work of relationships. Kind of like I was missing my cleats in that moment. I'm like, man, if only I would have had. And so here's what he says at the very beginning. Put on, like, start with. And so here's what I see that Paul is saying at the very beginning. That relationships, good relationships, start with me and not you. And that's really what I want to emphasize this morning. Immediately he says, put on. Like, clothe yourself. Like, you have, his audience, he's saying, like, you have a responsibility. Not the other person, but, but you. Like, good relationships start with me and not with you. And so when I get upset with you, I can't assume that the problem is, first of all, you. I have to ask, first of all, as Paul did here, like, have I put on what Paul has told me to put on? Like, it's my immediate responsibility. The personal responsibility of equipping myself is what Paul is emphasizing. For those of you who are broken up with, anyone ever have some version of this statement shared with them? It's not you. It's me. Anyone ever go through that? This is audience participation time for a moment, and we don't always do it. Anyone ever go through that kind of thing? Yeah, we got a couple of head nods. Now, here's what I hate about this. Here's what I think we all hate about this. We all know this is a lie. Of course it's me and not you. In other words, what this is code for in a relationship is, (laughs) it is actually you. 
I don't want to talk about it, and therefore we're never going to resolve it, and can we just be friends? Right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like, you know, clearly, it isn't me, but this is the best way to drop you easy. No, it's not you, it's me. Like, what do you, what, what, no, it's not. Like, you have a problem. Just say it. Like, I'm okay if you say it. That way we can get over it. We may not date it again, but at least I can know what's going on. This closes the door to future conversation and it's just a really weak way to end things, all right? So this is why I hate this, and maybe you do too, and maybe you have an emotional reaction. This depending on what goes on in your past. But if we can get over that, for a minute, I think what Paul is saying is say, before you start thinking about the person you don't like, the family member who's difficult, the in-law who's hard to get along with, the classmate who's just kind of weird, and the person that you'd rather not run into at work, as you think about them, what if this were actually true? What if it's not them? What if it is me? And what if I haven't put on what I'm supposed to put on to play this game? And this is what Christians have to think about. Have I put on the right stuff? Because good relationships start with me and not, not with you. They don't. They start with me. Put on, therefore, these things. Now, Paul goes on to clarify further. Look again in your NIV, if you have that or whatever version you have. In the NIV, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He ups the ante or the motivation for why people who claim to follow God should do this. He's saying, don't just do this because you want to or you think you'll get a date. He's saying, if you're God's chosen people, think about the implications of that. You've been whether you like this or not, chosen to be on in God's family. You've been drawn into that. And so because of that, I can't just act in my own way. I have a responsibility to act like a member of God's family, right? There are some people who work at Chick-fil-A in the house, right? My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, right? Isn't that funny? So as soon as you go to work for Chick-fil-A and you're on, you know, uh, whatever, on the clock and you're there, everything is your pleasure. Even if it's not your pleasure, it is your pleasure, right? That has to be the way it is. And if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A and had that experience, you know, you ask for a drink refill, my pleasure, you know, whatever it is, you know, my pleasure. My kid threw up on the person behind me, my pleasure to clean that up. Like, no, it's not your pleasure, but thank you for telling me that, okay? But that is just instinctive language because that's who they are and that's who they have to be. And that's, in a sense, what we're saying here, that this is what we are. If you're a follower of God and you follow Jesus and you want to pursue him, then we're kind of in that. It may not be my pleasure, but I need to make it my pleasure to do so. It may not be my pleasure to put these things on, but if I'm chosen by God's family, like I'm always on the clock with that. Like I don't have a choice, right, to, to back away from these things. So Paul's saying, like, put on, get yourself geared up for relationships, and you're in the family. You're God's chosen people. And then he says you're holy and dearly loved. Like you're set apart to do these things. And this is the part I love about it. You're dearly loved. You know, you know what that implies? If you're dearly loved by your father, think about this for a minute. If you're dearly loved by your father, do you think that your father would ever give you bad advice? 
Like If your Father dearly loves you, He sends you out into the world, do you think He would ever give you bad advice? So here's what Paul's saying. Put these on, first of all. like Get in the game. Put on some things. Remember, you're in the family. You're chosen by God. You're set apart for these things. And remember, the things that we're telling you come from the heart of a father who wants the best for you. Like These are good things. They're going to be hard, sure, but they're good things that come from the heart of a father who just loves you. You're you're dearly, dearly loved people, part of this family. And so with that being said, put on. What are we to put on? Here's what he says. Here's the five characteristics that he says. Look in your Bible if you have it. Look in the, the letter to Colossians here. He says, put these things on. Clothe yourselves. That's what the NIV says. Clothe yourselves with five things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness, or excuse me, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay. Now, really simply, really simply, compassion, I'm going to take these kind of two by two in a way, compassion and kindness kind of go together. The word for compassion in the New Testament, in, in all the letters, in, in all the books that we have in the New Testament, the word for compassion always, always, always leads to action. Yeah, it's very important for us to see. The word compassion always leads to action. Remember the story uh, of the Good Samaritan? You may or may not know the story, but basically, um, you know, there was a, someone on the way to Jerusalem, and they were, uh, they were robbed, and they were set on the side of the road, left to die, and various people came by and didn't have compassion on them, but finally a Samaritan came by and had compassion on them in the category, because people weren't used to Samaritans doing anything good. Um, in the world of the day, they were like, what, a Samaritan did something good? And what Jesus says, he uses this word that the Samaritan had compassion on the man. Because compassion leads to action. Compassion isn't just simply, oh man, that's tough. And a feeling, that's not, it's not a feeling. Compassion always is followed up in the New Testament with action. And kindness is too. So Paul begins in this letter, he's writing, he's like, put on these things, you're loved by God, this is for your benefit, because you're dearly loved in the family, and get geared up for the game, like, put them on. The first two things are outward activities, like compassion and kindness. The the ESV says compassionate hearts. But essentially, it's the external acts. It's like, have I done things that are kind and compassionate for people? Like, have I acted in that way? What can I do to serve you? How can I help you? How can I give to you? These are external acts. This is really easy to test, by the way. You can look back on your week or the season in life that you're in, and you can just even ask yourself, when is the last time I've done something kind for the people around me? When is the last time I've actually done something encouraging, positive and helpful for people around me? And it may be that you can name that thing right now because that's just part of how you're wired. That's awesome. But for some of us, we're like, I don't know. The last time I've, like I've fought a lot of good things, but I don't know that I've done them. And I'm talking simple things like a, a word of encouragement to your employee who walks in the door on Monday or Tuesday after a day off. They're tired, and you're like, hey, it's great to see you. And by the way, have I told you I'm grateful for how hard you work for us? Boom. Kindness, an action, compassionate heart. A thought, an act, something that is done that is for the benefit of people. That's kind of the way that works. 
I remember uh, when I was a, a kid mowing my yard, I think I may or may not have told you this story, but I was grumpy and because it was a kind of, it was an in-between mow. You ever do, do those mows that are like in-between? Like we think rain is coming, but it's not quite tall enough to mow, and I'm mowing and it doesn't seem to be making a difference. You ever have those mows? Like, like oh. So, of course, I was fully mature at like 16, right? Able to process all my emotions and channel them in a very healthy direction. So I'm grumpily and angrily mowing the lawn, like just getting angry. The lawnmower didn't work. I don't know if I kicked it or I yelled or I don't know what I did. So I'm just in a bad place of mowing the lawn. And my dad sees that. Number one, he tries to correct that. And that kind of went okay, kind of didn't. But here's the deal. Later on, he brings me a drink of water. And I threw it in his face. I'm like, Dad, next time you make me... No, I didn't do that. Um, I'm like, okay, thank you. So, so an act of kindness diffused my anger because it was just an act. It, it, not, it wasn't an act. It, it was a thing to do. It was the external act of doing something that was helpful. You may have seen this work in your own marriage. Maybe your spouse has done this and you've seen it work where you're upset about something and they serve you all of a sudden. You're like, don't serve me now. You're going to win the argument if you serve me now because that act of kindness diffuses things. And this is why it's good and healthy for us to think this way. So he says, put on, first of all, it's God's people, acts of service. Be kind to the people around you. Do that first externally. Now, that requires a great deal of humility to do that, to be honest. It required humility for my dad. I was upset with him for making me mow the lawn. And my anger toward him was totally misplaced. Totally misplaced. I was in the wrong. Completely. And yet he served me on the back end of that. Why? Because of humility. And that's what Paul says next. Put on compassion, kindness, and... Then he says it there. You look in your text to make sure you're seeing that. He says humility. Humility is that next piece. And that's kind of a swing word. We've talked, I think, about humility before in here. Let me just say it again. Here's how I view humility, okay? I view humility as aggressive service for God. Okay? I don't view humility as a weakness or like nice guys finished last. Mm-mm. Jesus was very humble, but he changed the world. Right? He walked into a city in which he was going to be tortured and did so courageously. And everything that he did was done in humility. So humility has nothing to do with weakness. Nothing to do with weakness. Humility is putting my agenda aside for the service of God. And that is aggressive service for God. And so if I want to be upset with you because you have been, whatever, annoying to me, and by the way, aren't people annoying like not just once but all the time? You ever find that, that the things that annoy you about them continue to annoy them like they're always late? You ever see that and you notice that? The same people are always late. The same people always misspell things. The same people always have to be right. Have you ever noticed this? The, the same people like always miss that point. And the same people are always kind of mean to, like, have you ever noticed the recurring theme that the things that annoy us about people seem to keep coming back to them over and over and over again? Because they're not probably going to change, and likewise, we probably aren't either. And so this requires a great deal of humility to say, let me, let me realize I have an obligation as a child of God holy and dearly loved, to put on kindness and compassion and serve and allow my heart to be changed. And then he finishes with these two words. Put on humility, meekness, and patience. All right? Meekness and patience, these refer more to the inward kind of condition of our attitude and heart. And this has to do with basically being cool and calm under pressure. 
Um, I, I want you to imagine, if you can, uh, could be a, a musical environment where you have, you've worked hard to try out, and you're on a big stage, and all the lights are on you, and there's a full house, and it's a big moment of your own you know, solo, or your recital, or your piece that you're playing, or you have the lead part, and you're finally ready, and the, the curtains open, and you are on, and in that moment, there's pressure. And there's stress to perform. But the performance has to come from a heart of calm and relaxed. Be cool. Be cool. You know this. You've got this. Just do this. It has to come from that or else it's going to be frantic and you're going to forget things. That's the idea of patience and gentleness. You can perform under the pressure when people are annoying to you, deadlines are coming, things are due, and you can't get it done. The kids screamed again, and someone threw that against the wall over there, and there's barf over here and crayon over here, and then someone's calling you about things that are late. Like in the moment when all the lights are on you in that moment, patience and meekness that you can perform in that moment because your mind and heart is on the fact that, yeah, you're God's child. My perspective will go beyond this. And so it's that attitude of the heart that allows us to see through this. By the way, generally speaking, not all the time, generally speaking, grandparents are really good at this. Generally speaking. Grandparents are really good at helping us see, hey, I know he just dumped you. You're going to live through this, because I have a perspective on life that's bigger than you. Like, I I know that your test score didn't go the way you wanted, but here, (laughs) come here, have a snack, let's talk, and walk you through it, and be able to be patient and reliable and perform under pressure. And this is the idea that I'm consistently doing this. This is what Paul is saying. Put on. If you're a person of faith and who wants to follow God and you're trying to interact with people, their impression of God is going to be essentially their impression that you give them by how we relate to each other. And so he says, put on. Start with. It starts with me. It starts with me. Put on. A heart of compassion. Kindness. The outward acts. With humility. Be patient and meek among them. Like, continue to be able to perform when the pressure is high. So, let me go back to this. It's not about you, or it's not you, it's me. Okay? So, it's not you, it's me. And what if that were actually true? It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. As I walk into relationships, good relationships start with me and not with you. They just do. And so, if I'm upset with you, and you're upset with me, both of us need to ask, man, where do I need to take ownership in this? What do I need to own? What do, what do I need to put on? And have I geared up for this game of relationships or not? Have I put on compassion and kindness? Can I serve this person who's annoying me? Do I have a humility of heart? And in the middle of all this stress and anxiety, I can be patient and meek and, and push through, deliver the goods in the middle of a stressful environment. Can I do that? Okay. So a couple questions for you to finish this up. Simple questions coming right out of our text. First question is this. Where can I be kind? So I want you to think about that. Where can I be kind? Where can I be kind this week? Where can I be kind in this season? Uh, Who is it that I can see this week, maybe this weekend? 
who, uh, you know, I'm thinking something positive about them. Maybe I just need to jot them a note. I need to send them a text. I need to pray for them and let them know I'm doing that. Maybe I need to give them a little gift. Maybe I need to help my spouse do something around the house that's been on the honeydew list forever, and I just uh, went out the brain, and it would be a loving way to serve them by doing that. Like, where can I just be kind? This is not a, a rocket science thing. This is just a thing. This is, again, if you're not even a Christian, this is a good idea, by the way. But if you're a Christian, this is a different animal. Like, as God's chosen people, you're kind of called into this. Yep, my pleasure, my pleasure. How can I be kind? This is, this is what Christians are called in to, to do. Where can I be kind? Where can I externally give and serve somebody this week? And secondly, where can I be patient? Like, of, of whom do I need to extend more grace and allow the pressure to be turned up more and still be patient through that and deliver the goods in the middle of that? How about my boss or my uh, coworker or my classmate or my spouse or my kids? Not that you ever need that, parents, but just in the off chance you might need that kids with your parents. Not that you'd ever need that, but in the off chance you might need that. Where can I be patient this weekend with him? Now finally, this question, and I'm going to wrap it up and let you all roll. This question here, and I think this is a little tougher question to ask, and, um, and, I, and I hope that it can get some traction in your heart and in mine, because this is where the rubber meets the road. Because by the way, the things that I've said this morning, the things that Paul wrote in Colossians 3.12, um, few people are going to argue with. Like, there aren't a lot of people who raise their hand and like, that's just, none of that is smart. That's, that's dumb advice. I wouldn't do any of that. No. Like, it's, it's good advice. Makes sense. The problem is, we can apply it to the people that we appreciate. Honestly, the hard part is to do what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies. Here's what the question I want to leave you with. If it starts with me, what responsibility do I have in that one relationship that I really have a hard time with right now? If it starts with me, what responsibility do I have in that one relationship that I really have a hard time with right now? That person who I'd love to avoid it could be your spouse, it could be your parents, it could be your kids. Could be a leader, could be a roommate or boss, coworker, could be anybody. What Paul wrote applies to everybody else, but I'm telling you, and you know this, to them, to apply this to them, that is different. To be kind and compassionate after what they've done, Are you kidding me? To be patient and meek with them? Seriously? To be humble? No, I don't think so. Do you have any idea? (laughs) I'm just saying it works until it's tough, right? Here's what I also know. When my dad came out to give me a glass of water after I was mowing the yard and I was being a jerk to him, how many people benefited from that exchange? Not just one, but two. I did, because it softened my heart, but he did too. And I'm telling you, the longer we allow ourselves to live with people we don't like, the longer it tears us up inside too. And this is why a loving father gives us this advice. 
I've chosen you. You're my children. I love you dearly in order to heal your own soul. Do something nice for somebody you don't like. That comes from a heart of humility, from a demeanor of patience and meekness. When it gets most stressful and the lights are up and the curtain opens and it's your moment, deliver the love of God to the people who need to see it through you and through me. Next week, I'm excited to give you one more idea and insight into what Paul writes about how we can love each other well. Love to have you back for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to step into your word and see where it can really engage our hearts and our minds and help us in relationship with each other. I pray that you would give us courage to do what we know we need to do with the things that we've heard this morning. I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts, that we can be men and women, young men and young women who are kind and compassionate, who do kind things for people, who are humble in our approach and who are consistently patient and able to deliver in the long run. And I pray that you would remind us of the motivation for this again that we're chosen people dearly loved in your family, that you give us advice and wisdom that helps us, even though it's hard to do sometimes. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us, and we thank you for that and all that that means for the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us, that we can be made new people and come to life, come to know life in its fullest. And I pray that you'd help us to experience that in relationship with each other as we patiently, carefully, lovingly, with long-suffering, that big word, long-suffering view, care for one another well and those even outside of faith. We thank you for the opportunity to interact with each other and give us courage to do what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.